This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today's guest is Dana Swanson, System Director of Governance at Bozeman Health. Dana is relatively new to this role after serving as Director of Government Relations for Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and as State Director for United States Senator John Tester. I just think looking in the rearview mirror, which I don't often like to do, I like to look in the windshield, but I think if we would have had a federal, uh, federal guidance when it started, I think that we wouldn't have seen the chaos that came down into communities. Dana is passionate about public service and has come home to Montana to work in healthcare during an especially challenging time. Dana, thanks for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah. So tell us, where did you grow up and what did your parents do? So I grew up in Anaconda, Montana. My dad was a public school teacher, grade school, for 38 years in the Anaconda Public Schools. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom until my youngest sister went to school. And my mom um, then went to work at the Southwest Montana Federal Credit Union and um, worked her way up to be the head teller at that and retired about 10 years ago from her position there. Okay. And tell us about growing up in Anaconda. What was that like? When I was a young girl, the smelter was still running and the copper was being mined in Butte and they would send it over on a train and smelt it. And so my memories of being there, um, the smokestack had smoke billing out of it when the smelter was running and I remember as a young girl waking up and the best way I can describe this is if somebody were to take a bite or suck on a a matchbook the sulfur and we would wake up and there'd be so much sulfur in the air and and a terrible taste you know would be in in my mouth and my brother's mouths and of course as kids you complain and um my mom and dad would say the smelter's running and it's creating jobs and rinse your mouth out and, <laughs> you know, get uh, the, the sulfur taste will go away. So growing up there, when that smelter was running, and I've told the story many times, we didn't have flies or bees or birds because the air quality was so terrible. Like sure. nothing lived. Grass, yeah. green grass was barely anything if people had lawns that were green it was sort of out of (laughs) the ordinary and so fast forward to today it is now an environmental uh, super fun site site. Um, it is if not the biggest one of the biggest in the entire country but that's what we knew and it closed when in 1980 and so I was all of what nine years old eight or nine years old And what that happened is, is including some of my family members, it devastated the economy in Anaconda. The jobs were lost, and um, people had to move, including some relatives. Those are the memories. And then, then it closed, and I um, came to college over here at the University of Montana. But fast forward to the present, Anaconda, just like a lot of Montana, is getting discovered. There is hunting. There is fishing. There is skiing. There is biking. They, you know, and so I feel like maybe Anaconda's on the cusp of um, growing a little bit. So you mentioned you came here as a student. What yes. did you study as an undergrad? Yeah, I um, studied political science. So right. I have a degree in political science with a minor in communication studies. Mm-hmm. When I graduated, 
1993, I chose to turn right back around and go to graduate school. Right, in the MPA program. In the MPA program. And I was young. I was 22. I was the youngest in the class. And um, I was able to finish my MPA degree in two years. So I finished that in 1995. And... The work that that, that department, you know, it, it prepared me to be a public servant. That is how I wanted to spend my career, is to serve the public. Part of that reason is, is I grew up in a very political family, and, you know, my dad being a public servant is a teacher, and my grandfather serving in the state senate, okay. and then as a county commissioner in Anaconda. Um, my mom, at the age of 60, decided she wanted to run for the state legislature, oh, wow. and yeah. did, and um, served her eight terms before, she, or excuse me, eight years, before she was term limited out. Sure. So um, public service, I say, is in my blood, and um, so I chose to get my degree in public administration um, to be able to be a public servant, and I'm very proud of that work. So this deep kind of commitment to service that is part of your upbringing and sort of becomes part of your value set, how are you thinking you want to apply that passion? Is it on particular issues or is it is it to, to serve the people? Like what is kind of the, mm-hmm. the, the, the motivation behind that work? Yeah, initially it was to serve the people. And at this point in time, I have not wanted to run for any public office, but I I've always, and I even remember finishing school in the in the MPA program. Always wanted to go work for a person who, who a politician, quite frankly. Yeah. And so um, that opportunity came for me, and I remember in 2005, and I was watching TV, and there was a um, campaign ad ran against Senator Conrad Burns, and um, at the time I was young and didn't quite agree with uh, Senator Burns's politics. And I thought, well, I want to go work for and see if, if we can beat him. Maybe he's vulnerable because he had been in office for not quite 18 years. And so I went and worked for the Montana Democratic Party as a field organizer. Sure. And just trying to get involved. Just trying to get involved, yep. honestly. And uh, there was a primary back then. Um, people who might be listening will remember there was a primary between John Morrison and John Tester. John Tester came out of the primary and ultimately beat um, Senator Conrad Burns by 3,562 votes. I then had the honor he asked me to come work for him as his deputy state director and jumped right in. So at some point, you make the the decision to move on from working for Senator Tester. Talk about that decision, and you've moved into healthcare, and, and we'll talk about that transition. Yeah. So I, uh, uh, my partner is Denise Juno, and she got hired to be the Seattle superintendent of, of public schools, right. and um, we made a decision to move to Seattle, and both of us are Montana natives, and when she got that job, the senator was up for his 2018 re-election, and I committed to him and his family to stay through that re-election because it was important to me to help get do my part to get him across the finish line and transition out of that job in December of um, 2018. So Denise and I moved to Seattle, and I was able to take some time off, which was really um, nice, and I thought about what I want to do next and I was very purposeful I did I did not want to go back into um, politics um, working uh, for a person but wanted to also look at different issues and the two that that I am passionate about number one the environment because of where I grew up in a super fun site knowing Mm -hmm. how important to have a clean and healthful environment is in conservation and the second is healthcare. I thought I'm going to take a 
a stab at healthcare. And it's not my background. And I'm not a policy expert in healthcare. But coming through the Affordable Care Act, which was, uh, the whole country knows, as contentious as that was, and hearing and understanding some of the uh, frustrations with healthcare and people who aren't covered or if they got sick and then couldn't be covered and all of that. And so I started applying for jobs in Seattle and I, I, I got a job as the director of government relations for the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. Right. And so- um, Fantastic organization. Oh my gosh, yeah. so That's good. Incredible work. It's an incredible and really was honored to be able to go work for them and be their eyes and ears on federal and state and quite frankly local policy as it uh, pertains to healthcare. With Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, it, it is cancer, right? Like they don't go treat you if you broke your leg, but they are very it is a very specific um healthcare. So dove right in during the beginning of the pandemic. And this is an important part because Seattle was ground zero for COVID-19, and um, the governor at the time really shut the state down pretty quickly, and he called it the stay home, stay healthy. And then I get this great job at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, and they said, come get your laptop, and we are all remote, period. what an odd time to start. So odd. So I get this call on New Year's Eve of um, 2020 from my supervisor, and she says to me, uh, leadership thinks you're doing a really good job. Can you set up a COVID vaccine clinic? Because we knew the vaccines were coming. And I was, I, I said, huh, well, I've never done that, but sure, I'll, 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 I'll help. And she's like, great, you know, um, there's going to be Zoom calls and whatnot. So I was part of a lead to set up a pretty darn good vaccine clinic in Seattle, Washington in 19 days. We, meaning the country, was told there's a lot of vaccines, you know, these vaccines are great. So we set this clinic up with the capacity to administer 2,000 vaccines a week, up to 2,000 vaccines a week. Like, it was such a great clinic. I'm really proud of it. And I would volunteer at that clinic once a week. And my job was to sign people up for second doses. And so I sat behind a computer. And um, I have to tell you, Justin, it, it was... It's emotional because these cancer patients for the first time felt they could go out and see a grandchild or a sister or a brother or a daughter. And and when I say it was emotional, when we set this great clinic up, we did not account for the emotion of it. Mm. So we would have people get vaccinated and then the 15 minutes observation and then some people would literally dance in the lobby. Some people would sob in the lobby. Some people would skip out. Like, And so then we created a really beautiful space for the emotional part of it because that became very clear initially that was important. Yeah, I'm thinking about the intensity in your household. Mm-hmm. I mean, you entering healthcare in this particularly uh, mm-hmm. important but intense time. And your partner, Denise, is in public education, running the public school system when pandemic hits. Like yes. what? And she Gosh, was, were you just ships passing in the night yeah, for a year or two? Yeah, and she was the first superintendent in the country to um, put students remote. Right. You know, and so, yeah, it was intense. And But both of us doing what we felt was important to keep her, for Denise to keep students and staff safe. Yeah. And then for me to figure out how, because there's no template, Justin. There, no. there was no template. 
So yeah, it was busy in our in our household and and but but I will say because we didn't go anywhere. You couldn't. You know, the yeah. the governor had shut the state down only for essential businesses. So we had our evenings to just kind of be and we walked a lot mm -hmm. around the neighborhood because that was the one thing you felt like you could do sure. safely. Get outside. Safely. And so, um, yeah, it was it was busy and, and um, a little bit chaotic. But at the end of the day, I think we were both proud of the work that we were able to do. You mentioned there being no template. No. So how are you, like, w w what are your guiding principles? Similarly, like, how, how, where did you draw inspiration during that time? Science. Okay. Period. The science is there and was there. Mm -hmm. And when uh, I worked with these cancer doctors, ophthalmologists, I mean, oncologists, they don't see a pandemic or an illness as a pol politics. They see it as science, mm -hmm. period. So for us at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, and I was on probably two Zoom calls a day for months, the doctors and the state folks would watch what was happening in Europe, knowing it was coming sure. across the water. Yep. And they have peers, not in America, you know, in other countries, and the peers saying it's real bad and it's very contagious. And now all of a sudden we're getting these variants. I knew about the Delta variant probably be before it was a household name because they, they knew. And then the template became follow what the science is saying but I am not joking, if not every day or every week, we always had to modify because it was still coming so, fa it f so fast. So you modify based on what the science is telling you. We'll be back to my conversation with Dana Swanson after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hey folks, coming up on February 12th is Missoula's second edition of Running Up for Air. In 2020, 80 intrepid trail lovers made their way up and down Mount Sentinel to raise awareness for health, clean air, and climate change. There are three, six, and 12-hour options, and all are welcome. To learn more and register, visit runnersedge.com and look for RUFA, that's R-U-F-A, under the Events tab. Proceeds support Climate Smart Missoula's efforts to raise awareness about air quality issues and to ensure everyone has access to clean air. Check it out. Hey, this is Mark Moss from Tell Us Something, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm speaking with Dana Swanson. System Director for Governance at Bozeman Health. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I think that gets lost sometimes is that, you know, one of the beautiful things about scientific method is that you construct hypotheses and propositions that yes. are falsifiable. And so, yeah, we learn that some of the things we previously learned aren't quite true or there's more nuance or there's, you know, boundary conditions or however you want to describe it. 
And so, yeah, to be able to craft policy and communication strategies around science that's emerging in real time has to be a tremendous challenge. And let's take a snapshot in time of the present. Yeah. Science is now saying that with Moderna and Pfizer, people are likely going to need boosters. Mm -hmm. That's not because somebody is sitting being like, well, maybe we should do boosters. It is all based on science and the waning of the vaccine. And so even now we're modifying this template. If you, for, I don't know what else to call it, but we're modifying what we know to help keep people safe. When you say science as the, the template or as the guiding light, there are, and I'm not an expert in this space, but there are different areas of science. So I've heard some debate between sort of like the hard medical science and public health science in terms of how to distribute a vaccine, for example. Here, public health experts would say, you know, maybe it's better off to get as many single doses out of the different vaccines, or maybe you should design a vaccine that it doesn't have to be in the deep freezer. Just you optimize for a different set of parameters if you're looking at it from a health, a public health perspective mm-hmm. than a medical science perspective. Do you have mm-hmm. any thoughts on how those you know, different types of science need to be fused and, and, and used as inputs to uh, a good policy? I do. It's easy to look in the rear view mirror and say, oh, if we could have only dot, 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 Mm -hmm. right? My rear view mirror, if, in my opinion, if there were better federal guidelines to bring 50 states together on getting this rolled out, I think, I think that we wouldn't have seen the chaos that ensued and it was chaotic. And so um, you still have 50 states doing it 50 different ways. And I think people are tired of, one, worrying about it. I worry about it. You saw me when I walked in like I forgot my mask. It was weird to be indoors without a mask. Um, and, and I think you just have people who still don't believe it is as bad as it is. Mm-hmm. And um, the vaccine became political, and it never should have. And, you know, I was talking to my mom the other day, and she remembered as a young girl being lined up in gymnasium to get the polio vaccine. And let's go back to a public health emergency. This is a public health emergency. This is about public health. And she said, she said, you know, I was a young girl when I got it, but she said, I don't remember it being even an option. You just did it because nobody wanted to get polio, period. So... Yeah, I just think looking in the rearview mirror, which I don't often like to do, I like to look in the windshield, but I think if we would have had a better uh, federal guidance when it started, I think that we wouldn't have seen the chaos that came down into communities. You recently started as system director of governance at Bozeman Health. So first yes. of all, like why the decision to move back mm-hmm. to Montana? And then we'll get into your current role and what it, what, it, yeah. what it's all about. Yeah. So uh, as you know, we were in Seattle mm-hmm. and I got an email out of the blue from Bozeman Health um, asking if I would consider applying for the system director of governance. I read the job description. I was happily employed at Seattle Council Care Alliance doing really good work yeah. on their behalf. And... I thought, uh, you know, my dad's voice rang in my head, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Mm. So I put my name in the hat and Denise was winding down her position and I applied for it and I got an interview. And then the next day I got a call and the director of human resources said the CEO and the board president wants to talk to you tomorrow. I talked to the CEO and board president. The next day they offered me a position and uh, the position and I said, give me a day. 
And so Denise and I talked about it. And part of our conversation was, do we want to move back to a state that looks very different politically than when we left? Sure. And I will say that it, living in a, in a blue bubble, Seattle, I would, will say that the, the opposite end of that, the, the um, progressiveness is also can be hard too, you know? Yeah. But with that being said, um, we are both Montana natives. Um, Denise uh, grew up on the Blackfeet Reservation in Brownie, and you heard I grew up in Anaconda. We always knew we'd come home, and this was an opportunity to come home. Sure. So I accepted. I said yes. And we couldn't, cannot be more thrilled. I, I tell people I don't think I've quit smiling since we got back. So we moved home, and I started at Bozeman Health. And it is a great organization that has a very visionary CEO. John Hill is his name. I can't get away from working for John's, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm honored to work for them. And so my... My job is there is I work very directly with the board of directors and I am part of the leadership team to grow a healthcare system. And when I say that it's, uh, you know, Bozeman Health is growing as you know. And, uh, you know, for years it was just Bozeman Deaconess Hospital and that was that. And John saw that, you know, as Bozeman's growing, you know, you got to grow the health system mm -hmm. and open up different clinics, which he has has done. And so I'm fairly new. I've been there a couple months now, but I've got to sit through board of directors meetings and, and them taking votes to invest in behavior health, because I think that that is one area around this country we're going to need more of. And the board voted to a significant investment in inpatient beds for behavior health. Sure and continuing to grow of, of what the needs of that community are. And so it's fun to be on the ground, being able to do that again, serving um, and making sure people have access to health care. When you're thinking of building a system, mm -hmm. I mean, what are some of the, you mentioned a few of the issues, whether mm -hmm. it's the sort of composition of services that are mm -hmm. offered or the number of facilities, where those facilities are located. Mm -hmm. How do you conceptualize a system and what are some of the, the challenges that you're mm -hmm. grappling with on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, workforce housing is, is, okay. is huge. Yeah. And I think, so to grow the system, you, you, you have to hire more employees, but if employees can't afford to come live and work there, yeah. that is a huge issue. And so I think that growing that, that, that has to be a component. And it's not for me to determine what that component is, whether it's raising wages, so, you know, a livable wage, or maybe it is building some type of a, of a workforce housing for employees to be able mm -hmm. to, to live and work in that community. Behavior health, and that's not just an issue in Bozeman, it's an issue around this country, especially during a pandemic. Mental health and, and suicides and whatnot. If, if there are not systems that take care of behavior health, we're going to we're going to see that start to grow exponentially and I, I and, and especially during a pandemic when people were isolated so growing a system that includes workforce housing and and behavioral health and then just making sure people can get to places you know i think some of us are fortunate we own and have transportation not everybody does. Mm -hmm. And so to make sure that they're, you know, if it's not a walkable, but working with the city and county to make sure that there are means and ways to get to a, a health care service. Because I also, and this, I, I learned this from my experience at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. If you look at numbers, cancer rates are going down in, this, in the world, in this yeah. country, in the world. 
it's not because people aren't getting cancer. They're not going in to get treatment for the cancer. Because we were told not to, to be clear, don't come to a hospital right, unless you're right. really sick. And so having access and making sure that people are able to, to get to healthcare services is important. And what is your view of some different conceptualizations of access? Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it's telemedicine or smart devices in the home or, you know, you know you've like testing has been an issue, for example. Now you can go buy test kits and have them at home. Not everybody can afford to do that necessarily, but thinking of ways to have touch points with healthcare that everybody can access in different ways. Telehealth is so key. And when, when we were all, the whole world would say, stay home, right? Like don't go anywhere because yeah. this is so contagious. We at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance were able to treat cancer patients through telehealth because they were able to say, I have this raspy cough or I have found a lump or whatnot. But in the same breath, and this is where I get very passionate, broadband, because not everybody has access to internet. And we found that out even in Seattle, Washington, we literally had cancer patients that would go to hotel lobbies just to get the Wi-Fi to be able to take his or her appointment on a smart device, okay? Smart devices. Not everybody has smart devices, right? Or there's a generation that doesn't know how to use them as well as different generations. So I feel like we've got to be more patient and diligent in making sure broadband is huge. And and when I worked at um, Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, I I just said those in the same breath, telehealth and broadband. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have broadband, you can't treat. So now come back to Bozeman Health. There is, I think, opportunity for telehealth, but Montana is way more rural. And so the broadband becomes a huge issue. And I know that that um, infrastructure package got passed Mm -hmm. and broadband is coming, but it's going to take years. But I do think that telehealth has got to be part of the solution in access. Um, The other thing as, and I learned this, but I see it even in Bozeman, um, not everybody, English is not the first language for everybody. And so I think, and some people might disagree with that, but I really do think we have to be able to provide services for patients who English is not their first language. You know, in smaller states, maybe there's not a ton, but trust me, in Bozeman, Montana, there are people that English is is not their first language. And we as a healthcare system want to be able to treat them as equal as, as their counterparts who, who do speak English. So a translator translation service i mean it's it's real yeah so dana given just the intensity of the current moment we're in with however this pandemic hopefully winds down gosh i mean it's got to wind down at some point i would hope but given the intensity of this moment the transition back to bozeman and montana and all the changes and some of these big problems that you're tackling what kind of gives you hope and vigor on a daily Mm -hmm. basis to to keep pushing the boulder. Yeah. I'm going to go back to public service. And even though, so I work for a nonprofit, Bozeman Health is a nonprofit, but to me, it's still serving, right? And I work directly with the board of directors and I'm part of a leadership team that has a vision to be able to grow a healthcare system for a community. And it is a community. Mm -hmm. And so what gets me excited about it is one, I'm still learning. It is new to me, and not just the new job, but healthcare in itself is still very new to me. I can't stress enough how odd it is to start in a pandemic, especially in healthcare. 
And then looking at um, the way out is for people to get vaccinated mm. and to, you know, follow some protocols that the scientists have said, hey, you know, probably still smart to, to mask up and whatnot. That's going to take a long time in order to do that. The vaccines are now here. We do not have a shortage of vaccines anywhere in this country. And so it's a matter of you know, hoping that people do choose to go get vaccinated for their own health, but the health of the other of people right. in, in, in communities. And that excites me. And Bozeman is the fastest growing community in Montana. And as we are there, and Denise and I have both made uh, commitments to serve in our communities as well as, as a broader picture as well. And I feel like I, I get to do that every day by working for Bozeman Health and working with a great team. But we also are able to serve by going to volunteer our time as well. Well, Dana, it's been fantastic learning about your journey sort of through Montana, outside to Seattle, and now back. Thanks for the great work you yeah, do. Yeah, thank thanks you. Thanks for coming and in today. Yeah, we're, we're thrilled to be back in Montana. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. AJ Williams is our producer, BTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks made our music. Editing by Nick Mott. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.